great to, uh, to have you all here. I, I know there's a lot of family members and uh, grandparents and, and uh, other family that are, that are here, friends. We're just, it's an honor to have you here, so please welcome. Uh, also, I want to welcome all the kids that are in here uh, today with us. Man, what a blessing. You guys give it up for the kids. Come on. Great to have them in here. What a, what a joy. I know that some of you uh, have no idea who I am, and so I need to... I need to give you a little frame of reference. Uh, my name is Pastor Mark, uh, one of the pastors of this uh, church community. And I still remember the first time uh, as a young kid that uh, a couple women in my uh, traditional church came up to me. And they said, uh, Mark, you need to settle down. And uh, ever since that point, from a very young age, all the way up until now, uh, people have been uh, always communicating that to me, you need to settle down. Uh, you've had a little bit too much Mountain Dew or Pixie Sticks or, or something. You need to, you need to relax. Um, but I am uh, unapologetic about the fact that I will not relax. I, I will not settle down. Um, and, and the reason is, I really believe he's alive. That's why. That's it. Like, I really do. So listen, I, I don't have to, like... I don't have to stand up here like a, like a Christian, you know, politician on a holiday. I get to share something that I deeply believe is true, is real, and that is way more than a myth or fairy tale. So now that that's been said, okay, I don't mean to scare any of you, but I hope that that now provides a frame of reference. Fair enough, okay? And as, as a couple of you leave, listen, I love you, but you, just stay, hang with us, okay, all right? Now, now, all that said, I want to begin with this question, because I think this will help us take the next, uh, the next step here this morning. When do you feel the most protected, the most secure, the most guarded? So what situations, circumstance, scenarios in your life uh, do you feel the most secure? Uh, maybe for some of you, it would be if you had this pet, okay? If, if you had a lion for a pet... You guys know I hate pets, all right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed of my stance, okay? I know that God has created them. I'm just not sure why. Anyway, if, if I had a lion for a pet, like, I would rock that thing in the neighborhood for sure, you know? Seriously, could you imagine, like, all of a sudden walking and you see your neighbor, like, just chilling with a lion down there, you know? There would, be a, there would be a sense of protection if we had a lion in the house, okay? Uh, well, how about if you were married to this guy? What if this guy was your husband? My wife gets to experience this day to day, but for the rest of you, right? For the rest of you, if Rambo was your husband, okay? All right? Amen. I don't even know what was said, but <laughs> my guess is there would be a certain level of confidence, right? No matter uh, who entered the home, uh, that there was a good chance that, uh, that you were going to be just fine, okay? Because this guy was lurking around the corner. Or, or, or what, if, what, if this was, uh, what if this was your home? Would you feel protected, secure, guarded, living around a moat, right, in a big castle? Minus some helicopter landing on your roof, I'd, I'd say you're, you're pretty set, okay? It's interesting, right? Like, the one day out of the year that it seems like fuels Christian security... Uh, actually, uh, to me, and I want to propose to you today, is a day of tremendous insecurity. And so no matter where you're at in your faith, 
no matter how protected, guarded, secured you've ever felt. I want to walk us through some very powerful scripture today on why I believe Easter has become a means of insecurity instead of a means of being guarded in Christ. So I want to start here studying in Matthew 27. Uh, All the scripture is going to be on your screen. It'll be difficult to see your Bibles today, so just follow along with me here as we look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. Here we go. The next day, Matthew 27, 62 says... That is, after the day of preparation, the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Pilate has just overseen the crucifixion of Jesus. And they say, sir, we remember how that, what's the word? Imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. I want to bring your attention to two things from this passage. Number one, people are still calling him an imposter. Nothing's changed. People are still saying that he was a man that made great claims and didn't follow any of them up. So nothing has changed from this commendation that Jesus is, in fact, an imposter. The other thing that I think is really really interesting to note is that Jesus was not surprised by the resurrection. Even the Pharisees, even the scribes, even the chief priests, even the teachers of the law knew that he was claiming that he would die and rise again. He was not surprised. Listen, he willingly goes to the cross knowing that the Father will be faithful to conquer death. The reason he knows that is because the Father's faithful. So not only has it never changed that people still call him an imposter, it also hasn't changed that the Father is faithful. That the same confidence that the Christ had as he willingly put himself on a cross, knowing that the end would be life, is the same level of confidence that we can have today in a faithful Father. Jesus would rise was his trust. He is coming again is ours. So now all of a sudden things get super, super dicey. Look at this in verse 64. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Look at this. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. This is crazy. Okay, (laughs) They're worried that the disciples are going to steal the body of Jesus, and so they need to set up a guard, a perimeter, a barrier. Do we know the same disciples? Okay. Maybe you guys remember that Peter cut off the ear of a Roman soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you don't know that story, he did. Do you think he was aiming for the ear? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, do you think that Peter was a, a, a marksman with the sword? You know, and so he he gathers his sword and he's like, okay, what's really going to hinder them is if I cut off that boy's ear, right? If that was the case, he has more precision than Chuck Norris, which is a tall task. Can we just agree, right? Like, heck no, that's not Peter. Bro's a fisherman. He draws his sword, I have to think, because of the very slow-moving centurion that sat across from him, like slowly moving to the left. Then he gets his ear. In other words, don't you find it interesting that they're worried that many of the the disciples who ran from the cross in fear of their own lives being taken, 
who have shown no like military zumption are somehow going to steal the body of Christ. But that's what they're afraid of. And so they say, all right, listen, we need a plan. We need a plan. We don't need these guys spreading lies. So we need to find it secure. So Pilate, look at this, verse 65, said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Hey, you, you've got some soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can, which I love the, the phrasing already by Pilate. It already shows maybe, I think, a, a little of the lack of confidence he may have. But why? These are Roman soldiers. Uh, th listen, these are dudes that most likely have killed people. These are men that, that are fully garbed in all of their outfit. and I mean, they're shields and swords. Uh, so he tells the, the chief priest, he's like, look, you guys have a guard. So go take that guard, set up camp at the tomb. I'm sure we're going to be fine. So verse 68, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So we're all on the same page. You have a closed up tomb with a massive stone in front. You have Roman centurion, some of the best of the best of the day, guarding it. What could possibly go wrong? Would the disciples come steal the day? Somehow in their non-militant way, take out the Roman soldiers and steal the body of Jesus? Listen, they're fishermen. They can't probably even roll the stone, okay? Nothing against fishermen, but sort of, right? Okay? So what's going to happen? My Bible reads this in Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward dawn of the first day of the week, which was Sunday... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Just on their way. The Christ has died, steps towards the tomb, and behold, verse 2, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and I love this, sat on it, Right? Like, like always a little flair uh, for the dramatic in a great way is the Lord. Don't you love that? Hey, so listen, you're going to go down there, you're going to move the thing, and then you're just going to sit right up on top of that, that rock, right? He could have done anything. He could have been like, ta-da, the thing could have just rolled. But instead, this angel comes, looks like lightning, literally sits on top of the stone. And this great image of the power of the Lord, it's as if, it's as if no man could guard the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And then verse 3 says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Look at this. Verse 4, crazy, crazy, crazy. And for fear of him, the guards, yes, the guards, the Roman soldiers, the fully equipped, the studs, those who have probably killed someone, the guards trembled and became like dead men. You have an angel sitting on top of a now rolled over stone and you have powerful and trusted Roman soldiers literally looking like they're dead, trembling, fearful, all kinds of emotions going on. Now, I want to skip to just a little bit later in Matthew 28. Guys, this is crazy. Look at this in verse 11. My subtitle says, the report of the guard. Look at this. While they were going, behold, some of the guard, some, we're not sure how many folks are a representative. You see a lot of pictures or watch a lot of passion plays. Uh, most say three, maybe four. 
Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Can you imagine this conversation? Well, uh, so, so, yeah, so, and I picture like someone kind of stepping up as the leader. So there we were, uh, and then, you know, all, and then this thing, and lightning, and, the, the, and we, then we were laying around trembling, right? Like, can you imagine it? The reason why they would be so skittish in telling the story is because they could be killed for not following through on their duty. That's why. So they come back, they're like, we, we need to like figure out some sort of scapegoat, some sort of out here. We're not sure how to, how to deal with this. Listen, could you imagine the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at this point, hearing the testimony? Hold on a second, hold on a second. Say what? You're saying you saw with your own eyes an image like lightning you saw with your own eyes the stone being rolled away. Is that really what you saw? Yes. Could you imagine the heart, the gut-wrenching feelings and emotions going on in these folks? Now look at this. And when they had assembled with the elders, because people got to be fetching now. You see what I'm saying? And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, look at this. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. You see, most people think that it was just Judas that got paid to betray the Christ. What about now? Again, thinking that money, thinking that lies, and thinking that a betrayal would make a risen Christ not resurrect. Do you guys understand what man has done? The lengths that man has gone to make this not an imposter an imposter, to make this not fraudulent a fraud. They pay them off. A sufficient sum of money, you guys name whatever a sufficient sum of money would be for you, okay? My guess is it's more than five bucks, right? Verse 13, here's what they said. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So like, listen, when the governor wants to kill you for not doing your duty, we'll stand in the gap. We'll tell him, hey, listen, it was all right. Actually, it was our fault or however it is that they're going to mask it. So finally, verse 15, they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The story hasn't stopped being spread. It has not stopped. It has created this certain level of insecurity. Because man has forever attempted to guard the tomb. I believe that so many of you are here today. Literally having spent your life, recent months, past days, guarding the tomb. Not wanting to experience the fullness of the resurrection of Christ in fear of what an empty tomb really means. And so I want to propose a few ways that I believe this has happened for you. I think it certainly relates to many of us. Maybe for you, experiencing the power of the resurrection has been guarded by number one. How about this? It's been guarded by open wounds from the church. If we took every single person in here who has ever been wronged, gossiped about, hurt, defamed, judged, 
in the confines of the church, we would all have a big story to, to say. I would too. I've been gossiped about, hurt plenty of times, literally smacked on my face, it felt, judged. Here's what I've realized. Number one, we have to openly and publicly, as the body of Christ, apologize. Even though for some of you I wasn't the wrongdoer, I am still a member of the body of Christ. And I say, as an ambassador of Christ, I am so incredibly sorry. I'm sorry you were judged. I'm sorry you were laughed at. I'm sorry you felt like an outcast in what was supposed to be home. I am sorry. What I do know and what I've had to come to the realization of is I represent well the body of Christ, not yet perfected. And so in dealing then with the body of Christ, I, you, we're going to fall short. We're going to say things not only we shouldn't have said, but we wish could come back. But I know for many of you, this fact alone has created a tremendous distance between you and embracing the power of the resurrection. You've said, no, 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 there's too much hurt in there. What if I said the fullness of the power of the resurrection was enough to heal those open wounds? Number two, for some of you, experiencing the power of the resurrection has been guarded by doubts of God because of suffering, tragedy, things that you've had to endure. You've said things like, how could a loving God ever dot, dot, dot? You've lost loved ones sitting in your tears, fists clenched. God, why, why would you ever take them? God, how could, how could you, of all, of all people, not allow me to spend the rest of my life with them? God, how could you cause this relationship to end? And on and on and on. And so for some of you, it's been tragedy. It's been suffering. Maybe you've never paused to realize why there's cancer. Maybe you've never paused to realize why there's hurt. Our God has provided a way out of it. But cancer is here because of sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. And because one sin, now all of sin, Romans says. And now what God has done in rectifying it has said, listen... Sin has occurred. It's here. Now everyone is born a sinner, but I'm going to provide a way out of it. So amidst the suffering, amidst the tragedy, amidst the hurt, amidst the cancer, I know it seems hopeless, but you have to believe all hope is never lost in my son Jesus. Why? A resurrection. If he resurrects, then I see your cancer and I raise you an empty tomb. I see your broken marriage and I, I raise you an empty tomb. I, I see all of the struggle and the strife and the tragedy and I raise you an empty tomb every single time. Number three, maybe for you it's this. I know that that God stuff is probably true. Too strong enough to admit it. Too powerful enough to succumb and become like those Christians? Or maybe not like that dude up there? No way I ever want to be like that dude. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to put up as many possible safeguards around me 
So that literally I can spend my entire life saying, nope, not now. I got this, God. I'm going to get through this on my own and prove to you, God, that you don't exist. And for many of you, you find yourself so unbelievably exhausted this morning. Again, a day that could be a day of security, instead a day of insecurity. Why? Because you spent your life trying to muster it up one more day of fighting through and making it happen. Only again to lie your head on the pillow another night, knowing that you couldn't do it, but you couldn't admit it. Listen, I've been there several days, several weeks, thinking that somehow I was the answer to a problem. And I believe in those moments of lie that it's my freedom and my joy to do so. But oh, the lie. It's his will. It's his power. It's his strength. When we're weak, he's made strong, Paul writes. And so what if today all of those safeguards of our willpower and our strength and our mustering up could be conquered with a resurrection? What if? The biggest one out of all this, though, is number four. I feel like this morning that many of you find yourself looking at an empty tomb and seeing others make proclamation. And yet you look at the big, long list of all of your transgressions. And you say, there's no way that God could ever forgive me. And even some seemingly of the strongest believers in the room, is there still that one sin, that one moment, that one season, that not just you regret, but you literally still feel unforgiven for? Well, what that does, my friends, is it backs us away from ever experiencing, encountering, embodying the power of the resurrection. But what if, what if, what if? What if that Christ who willingly put himself on the cross, and what if that Christ who walked out of the tomb three days later, what if that shed blood was so that those who felt unforgivable could be forgiven and then could tell the world that forgiveness is possible? Let's say it this way. Next slide. There is no guard strong enough to keep you from experiencing the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Pilate wanted some security. The chief priest, the scribes, hey, listen, let's put some Roman centurions out there. You know what they found? They could not, could not create a human barrier between an empty tomb and the Lord. It could not happen. You name the reasons why you feel distanced this morning from the resurrection of Christ, there will be no human reason that will ever stand strong enough to keep us away from an empty tomb. What if this morning all the guards came down? What if there was a new kind of guard we learned about? Look at what 1 Peter chapter 1 says. Check this out. Unbelievable text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the power of the resurrection. According to his great mercy, mercy being we deserve death and he didn't give it, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? Come on, through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The power of the resurrection is that we're born again in Christ. Nicodemus struggled with this concept, born again. Hold on a second. That doesn't make, you know, like that doesn't work, okay? How can a man go back in the womb, essentially, was Nicodemus' question of Jesus. And Jesus got to set up what you and I now get to experience. No, no, no. Being born again means the old has come. The old is gone and the new has come. We're made new in Christ now. Why? Because of the resurrection. And you know what our newness in Christ means? Forgiven from sin. You know what our newness in Christ means? It means that all of our tragedy, all of our chaos, all of our sickness is a means of us encountering a real risen God who cares for us amidst the hurt. And then somehow to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you want to see now what the new kind of guard looks like? Here's what First Peter says. Look at this. Who by God's power are being what? Come on. Are being guarded, secured through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. No human guard. No stronghold that you could set up. No barrier that could withhold the love of God. Instead, in the power of the resurrection, it purges all of those guards and ushers in a new guard. This says, no, now believers, guess what? On a day that could be a day of insecurity, where you wrestle again with all of the shoulds and should nots of the last year, actually, believer, today you get to experience the joy of being guarded through faith in the faith of a Christ who's really resurrected. So be guarded then. Cherish then the arms of Christ. And the promise to those of you who walk in here, literally having spent the last months, weeks, days, putting up the barriers, what if right now, literally for the first time ever in your life, all of them came down? What if all of it What if you just didn't see a blocked tomb and a pathway separating you from it? What if all of a sudden, right now as you sit in that chair, there is an overwhelming freedom that comes from the understanding of a loving God who says, come on. Come to me. Experience me. Share in life with me. I live, now you can live. I am joy, now you'll have joy. I am hope and there will never be another day where you'll be hopeless and hoping in me. What if on this Easter, what if on this Easter there were no guards to be found? Only one massive arm of God is saying, they're mine, forever guarded by my love in which nothing can separate them from. Let's stand together, come on. Literally, I wish, I wish right now I could spend time with every single one of you. And I wish in that time spent, I could just listen to your story. 
and I could hear the journey. And I could process with you. But right now, today, I can't do that. But what I can do is pray. I can pray in power and boldness that the real God who resurrected can literally, right now, in these very seconds, across this entire room, take down every barrier. And listen, I believe it can happen. So, Father, I pray right now that every hurt and pain and tragedy, that every doubt, that every past sin, that everything, God, that we've put up, built up, I pray right now in your love, it would vanish before our eyes. That literally right now, every single one of us in you would have a renewed sense of the power of resurrection. The power of our newness. The power of hope and joy. And a love that somehow transcends all of our transgressions. God, will you allow us right now in this moment to bask in your love? Help us today. Proclaim you're alive.